officially open. This is draft season. Welcome to another episode. It's all brought to you by Visa. Visa looks at over 500 data points on transactions to help prevent fraud. So you can worry less and focus on this podcast. Shop with Visa because security looks good on you. I am John Schmelk. I'm from the New York Football Giants podcast. Now, remember, this is a draft podcast, not a Giants podcast. And to give all the draft knowledge that is out there in the other is Tony Pauline, who covers the draft for sports Kita. Tony, we're a couple weeks now off of the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game. We're a couple weeks prior to the NFL Combine. We're in Super Bowl mode, kind of. This is a little bit of a low period before the Combine starts and Pro Days get going, where we all kind of take a little bit of a deep breath, reset, and get ready now for the sprint once we hit Indianapolis in a couple of weeks. Yeah, very true. I mean, there's little news as far as really football or, or the NFL draft. What happens now is all the players are at their training facilities, primarily in the southern part of the United States, Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, preparing for the combine. So, I mean, the only news now is who's knocking out of the park at training and who's not showing up for training. So, uh, yeah, you're right. It, it is kind of a low. Just gives you extra time to watch more tape. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm finishing up rewatching a lot of the senior world practices. I'm going to try to watch the second half of the year on, on, on some of our top 20 first round grade guys and hopefully have all that done before we head to Indy for the combine. And just so fans know, here's the plan. Next week, we'll do a pre-combine slash post all-star game mock draft. We're going to try to give you one of these every month. Tony and I will alternate. We'll swap teams back and forth. We'll do the reverse order of what we did last time. So make sure you tune in for that next week. And then we'll have a show Wednesday of the combine. That'll be a combine preview. And then we'll have our normal Wednesday show the following week, reviewing everything that happened at the NFL combine. So that's what's coming. Make sure you stay tuned. The draft season will be with you all the way once a week and maybe more as we get closer as we head towards the draft at the end of April. So what we're going to do today is Tony's going to give you his overrated and underrated players at each position here in the 2024 NFL draft. I'll throw in a couple of names here and there as well. Tony, of course, has gone a lot deeper uh, with a lot of these guys than I have so far, and he has a lot more names in his holster to kind of whip out here as we talk about some of these draft superlatives in 2024. So, Tony, let's start at the quarterback position. And I guess for when we talk about overrated, underrated, this is kind of public perception. I kind of looked at Mel Kuyper's top 10 list because a lot of people go by that sort of thing, some of the draft analysts. So that that's kind of what I use as the basis of, of underrated and overrated. So let's start with quarterback, and we'll start with the overrated category. Who do you got? And you're right, it's perception. And my most overrated quarterback is J.J. McCarthy. And again, you know, you're looking at projections to the next level. McCarthy was a great quarterback at Michigan. He was a winning quarterback. I love his moxie. I love his confidence. I love the way he ran the offense. But the fact is, he's not a very big guy, doesn't have a very big arm. A lot of the questionable throws that he made on Saturday will result in interceptions on Sunday. He goes from a situation where he had seven great offensive linemen in front of him, not all at the same time, obviously. He had a phenomenal coach, and you just don't know where he's going to end up at the next level. Uh, I, I think there's, I think he's going to be overdrafted. In my last mock round, I didn't have him in the first round. I could have been, absolutely see him going in the first round. But while I liked J.J. McCarthy when I watched him through college, when I really looked at the film, there were a lot of red flags about his next-level potential that were raised, and that's why he's my most overrated quarterback. What were some of those red flags, Tony? Like I said, I mean, he doesn't have a big arm. You watch him when he gets outside the pocket. You don't know where the ball's going. There's a loss of velocity on the on his passes. There's a loss of accuracy. He tries to thread the needle uh, in some really dangerous spots, and if you do that on Sunday, the passes are going to be inter intercepted. Uh, he's not a big guy. He's going to struggle with standing the rush. You know, you mentioned it time and time again, going back to September, how, you know, he was throwing, he wasn't throwing 30, 35, 40 passes a game. He was throwing 16, 18 passes a game because of that offensive line was able to get that running game going so well and they relied so heavily on it. You know, again, I, I mean, he's a, he's a fun quarterback to watch on Saturday. I just, I don't want to compare him to Johnny Manziel, but I think it's sort of a similar situation in the sense that, Manziel was an, an electrifying quarterback on Saturday that I just never thought projected well on Sunday. And I think the same thing 
with J.J. McCarthy. He's electrifying in the sense that he's not making incredible plays, but just the way he ran the offense, the way he was able to command the offense, the confidence and everything. But when you look at the physical skills and everything else and the whole situation that was perfect for him at Michigan, I just think it's going to be a lot of problems at the next level or he's going to be overdrafted, overrated, and it's going to take a lot of time at the next level. No, Tony, look, I'm with you. You know, there's a, a former NFL general manager that is on a podcast. I'm not going to name names. And he was putting J.J. McCarthy in the same conversation as Drake May as like the third quarterback. I almost fell off my chair. I think that's crazy. Um, and then I'm going to throw another name in there. And not that I don't think he's going to be a good player, but I think team, I think a lot of analysts out there are underrating the medical factor with Michael Penix. You know, we've we've seen the production. We've seen the ability to get the ball downfield, but we've talked about some of the subtle things with ball location and things like that that have been an issue throughout the year. And then you throw in the medical issues as well. I know a lot of people have Penix as a first-round pick that are out there, and people talk about him that way because of the raw production. He might get there, Tony, but to your point, if he does, I think it's going to be because he's overdrafted, not because he's a first-round quarterback. And throw in the fact that he's not a guy that can make plays on the move. Like, he is a pocket passer. He's less mobile than McCarthy. He's less mobile than all the other top quarterbacks in this draft, including Bo Nix. So you put all that together. I, if he goes in the first round, I think he'll be overdrafted. I don't think people should be talking about him that way because of the, the injuries and some of the limitations on tape. And you got to look at the age as well, because what That's the age point. means is, you know, he's at his peak right now. It's not like, say, McCarthy, where you've got three or four years to develop him three or four years, four years down the road, Michael Penix is going to be 30 years old. So it, it, it's, it's, he doesn't have a large time frame, And that's why, you know, when they talk about overage players, overage rookies, it's the fact that there's not a lot of time span. They, they've likely hit their peak on the field. Again, day two, I'm in, let's do it. I'll rock and roll with that upside pick. Let's do it. I just think the first round pick might be a little bit steep unless you're getting him at the very end of that first round to try to get that fifth year on the contract. So underrated, Tony, you have a quarterback here that I don't, I don't think we've mentioned so far on our podcast here. So who do you got? And we wouldn't because he barely played last year. Ben Bryant, Ben Bryant in 2021 was a very good quarterback at Eastern Michigan. He transferred to Cincinnati, had a phenomenal year at Cincinnati. Then it made another transfer when the Luke Fickle went to Wisconsin transferred to Northwestern. When you watch Ben Bryant, he's actually one of the better vertical passers in this draft. He is a phenomenal downfield arm. The Cincinnati tight ends, they had two tight ends there that were very talented in 2022. They suffered because Bryant kept throwing the ball downfield at their expense. Sometimes he shouldn't have done that. He's a great vertical passer. The problem with Ben Bryant is he's been injured a lot. Entering the 2022 season, scouts had him as a second-day pick. He had concussions at uh, Cincinnati. He had issues. I think he only played seven or eight games this year at uh, Northwestern. He's not going to be drafted. But if he gets back to health, I, I mean, you're getting a guy that's got a great, great vertical arm, great passer, accurate vertical arm that no one's talking about primarily because of injuries. And, you know, it's funny that you just Michael, well, you mentioned Michael Bennett being overrated because of the injuries. I think Ben Bryant, who's probably going to fall out of draft, is underrated because he hasn't been able to play all that much because of the injuries. All right, let's go to running back here, Tony. And this guy is, is third on Kuyper's running back positional ranking board right now. Um, and you think he's a little overrated? I, I, don't, I don't just see – I don't see it with Audrey Kasteem, especially uh, of Notre Dame, especially in this day and age in the NFL. When you watch him, he's a solid downhill ball carrier, short yardage ball carrier, but he doesn't create yardage. He shows very limited quickness and speed in this game. He doesn't have much of a burst. He's an average pass catcher out of the backfield. You know, he's a, and he also runs with a bit of an upright style, which is not a good thing for a downhill ball carrier because you're taking a lot of hits. You're exposing yourself. I, you know, I just don't, you know, I, people are talking about him in day two. I, I think he's a day three guy because he's, he's simply one-dimensional. Third and two, goal line situations, yeah, you're going to bring him on the field. First and ten, I don't know what you do with him except have him stand on the sidelines. He reminds me of A.J. Dillon a little bit in Green Bay, right? I think of a very similar type of player. So I think a role player, but I think we saw this year when um, Jones was hurt and Dillon had to be the number one back, that running game did lack juice. And I think that's what you'll be looking at in a situation if, if Estime is, is your starting running back, correct? 
Yeah, and I mean, everybody, look, what type of back was A.J. Dillon? He was a much more productive power downhill ball carrier at Boston College than Esteem was at uh, Notre Dame. And again, 20, 25 years ago, yeah, I, I could see I could see him being rated highly. In this day and age of the NFL, I, I just I think he's a bit situational, one-dimensional, as you say, role player. All right, I'm going to go overrated here, and I'll probably get the Michigan heads mad at me here. I'm going to go Blake Corum, and I do think people, because of the national championship, and understandably so, he was their highest usage player on offense. They're going to you know, try to put him higher in the draft. But I think as good of as a player as he is, and the tape is good. I'm not killing his tape. He's a quality player, has great vision, has some good side-to-side quickness. I just think once we get to the combine, Tony, and we see height, weight, and speed numbers, I think – that's going to be a problem for him. Um, there's just not a lot of burst there and big playability. And if you don't have big playability and you're also not big to grind out yards, I think t- I'm, I'm going to have trouble finding a role for you. You know, even as a third down back, he's a good receiver. I think he can block. But if you don't have the burst to make big plays and the speed in the passing game, what's your utility there? So I just think the measurements at some point are going to catch up with Corum and they're going to overwhelm what is some very, very good tape. Now, I could be wrong about this. He might show up at, in Indianapolis at the Combine and and do a lot better than I think he will with some of the testing, but that's kind of where I'm going at it with this angle. Well, I mean, the height is the issue. Right? He's going to be 5'7", unless they put him on a stretch board and try to figure <laughs> out a way to uh, stretch him out to 5'10 the past couple of weeks. I, you know, you're not going to get past that. And, uh, you know, it's a problem sometimes. Yeah, he can get lost behind his offensive lineman, but he can also get lost when the quarterback's trying to throw him the ball. He's going to need space to work as a pass catcher. I mean, I love him as a player. I think I agree with you. I think he's a situational role type of guy. But I think like all the running backs in this year's draft, you're not going to have one selected until the late part of round two, maybe round three. Now I'm with you. How about your underrated running back, Tony? And it's it's a similar situation. Bucky Urban, I, I think, you know, he's probably he's smaller than Blake Corum, but he also adds the element of being able to run around the perimeter, run around the outside. He is a sensational pass catcher out of the backfield. They use him as a downfield threat. They line him up on the flanks, and he does a great job. You know, he when he runs on the inside, Blake Corn, when you watch him run on the inside, he's more of a tries to do more of a power run on the inside. You watch Bucky Irvin run on the inside, he pick and chooses spots. He sees the lane, he makes the defenders miss, he creates yards, which is what he's gonna have to do, just out of self-preservation because he's not a bigger guy. But again, I, I think when you're looking at Bucky Irvin as a as a third round choice with the versatility of his game, with the fact that, you know, in every situation, except maybe uh, short yardage or goal line situations, you can use Bucky Irvin. That's why I have him as underrated. All right. I'm going to give two quick names here and I'll be fast on these two, because I think to your point, all the running backs here are situational. And I think these two guys could be pretty useful situational backs. One is Dylan Laub from New Hampshire, who we saw at the senior bowl. When I went back and I rewatched some of that practice tape, he was beating quarterbacks, Tony, in the passing game, like over the top. He could, I, I've heard, I'm not going to steal credit for it because somebody else used this comp for him. He could be a Danny Woodhead type of player where I think he could catch 80 balls as a third down back. We'll see about the pass protection part of that. But I think as a receiver, he can really find the role here in the National Football League. And then I liked Isaiah Davis out of South Dakota State, who was at the Senior Bowl as well. I think the testing for him will be very important. How fast does he run? But I thought he showed the ability as a receiver. He was ultra-productive at South Dakota State, consecutive 1,400-yard seasons. And I think he's a good between-the-tackles type of grinder. He has some David Johnson in there for me. Where David Johnson, same type of back, good receiver, Maybe not super fast, but really good at finding holes. And he he found a way to be successful in the league, at least for a short time, before I think the the grind caught up to him. And I see that type of player in Isaiah Davis. And the thing about Isaiah Davis is the college film was much better than the senior bowl film. So if you like the senior bowl film, you go watch you go back and you watch the South Dakota State film. And he's a bigger guy with real good short area. Equipment. Yeah, 220 he's pounds. Just, he's bigger, uh, 220, he, which is great. And the South Dakota State film, he just didn't run over people. He was able to make a miss and run around them. As far as Lobb's concerned, you know, you mentioned his pass catching, you mentioned his running. He was also an outstanding return specialist in New Hampshire. So, you know, he's a triple threat sort of skill player in that realm, which basically cements him as a day three pick. All right, let's go to wide receiver and tight end here, Tony, and we're going to focus on the wide receivers here. This is just not that great of a tight end draft. So who's your uh, number one overrated wide receiver? 
Yeah, this will surprise people. It's going to be Keon Coleman of Florida State. I mean, this is a guy who a lot of people were talking about as the number two receiver after Marvin Harrison. Some people think he's a first-round pick. When I watch him, when I really break down the film, I see a longer guy. I see a guy who makes a lot of special catches, a guy who comes away with a lot of a lot of tough uh, tough uh, receptions. Physical player, too, down the field, right? And, and decent speed. But I also see a guy who drops a lot of throws, a guy who does not come away with the tough grab consistently as he should. And for the most part, was playing with, at least a decent, uh, a decent quarterback. Uh, he, oh, yeah, quarterback Jordan Travis is a yeah. I mean, he's a good yeah, player. He, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't on the money with all of his throws. But Keon Coleman, yeah, I like him. I like his upside. But for where people are talking about him as being a top four receiver, being a potential first round pick, he just dropped too many throws for me. And again, you know, as we saw the week we were at Shrine and Senior Bowl, you don't have to be big, you don't have to be fast anymore. You got to be able to separate. And when you watch Keon Coleman. Yeah, he found the open spot in the field, but a lot of times he was just winning out for the contested grab. So, you know, I like the player. I'm just not in love with him the way a lot of people are. And, Tony, I think we were on this pretty early this year. If you go back, I think in October we had a wide receiver episode. We talked about this. And it's funny, since then, as you see kind of the mock drafts from all these national analysts pop up, I think they're catching up with us a little bit here. I think maybe they've talked to some people in the league, and I think a lot of those people have similar opinions where – now, he's past 20, 25 on a lot of these mock drafts, and he's not in the teens or in the top 12 anymore. So I will definitely give us credit for that because I think we were ahead of the game on this one. All right, I'm going to go Xavier Leggett here, and I think the draft analysts are catching up with us on this one too. I was really disappointed that he only measured 6'1 at the Senior Bowl. You know, you watch him on tape. He looks a lot taller than that, and the way he plays as a contested deep ball guy you know, you would want him to be a little bit taller and a little bit longer. So that's a concern. And I just don't see the change of direction and short area bursting quickness to be, you know, at 6'1", 220, you think, oh, well, maybe he could be a Debo Samuel type. Well, I don't see that type of elusiveness as a run after the catch guy to play that role. So I wonder where he's going to fit in in the NFL in terms of what his strength is going to be. And to me, he is a mid to late second round pick much more than he is a late first, you know, early second round pick. He's not going to be a first round pick. Number one, you know, you talk about six, one at the senior bowl, 223 pounds, eight and seven, eight inch hands. You want the hands for receivers to be close, especially a guy that's 223 pounds. You want it to be nine, nine and a half inches. At least his arm length was uh, only 31 and a half inch, 31 and five eighths inches. So, you know, you're talking about a guy with sort of a funky build. I think with Leggett, he's going to test through the roof at the combine. He's going to run in the four threes and everybody's going to be wowed by him. But I think it's fair to say that he's more of a sprinter than he is a polished receiver at this point. Yeah. And I think he is build up speed too. Like he doesn't get zero to 40 quickly. It, it, it zero to 50 quickly. It, it takes a little while for him to get there as well. All right, Tony, let's go to your underrated wide receiver here. This is a guy who I, you know, was on my list coming into the season. I, I had him as a third round pick. I've watched him during the season, but when I really broke down the film on Jermaine Burton of Alabama, he really stood out to me. He's a taller, thin guy who's probably going to have problems with the contested pass, but he's quick, he's explosive, he's got downfield speed, he separates through his routes, he's fundamentally sound catching the ball, which means he extends his hands and makes the catch away from his frame. He challenges, you know, he'll go for the contested throw. You want to try and get him in space. But I think a guy with that sort of height, we'll see what his actual measurements are at the uh, at the combine with that length, with that pass catching skill, and more so that quickness to separate the routes and that burst. He's a decent vertical receiver. You know, I'll tell you what, I'll take Jermaine Burton over Xavier Leggett as an NFL receiver. Leggett may have better size. He may run a little faster. But when you watch the film, Jermaine Burton of Alabama is a much more polished, much more NFL ready receiver. You think he has a chance to sneak in the round two, or is he more of a round three guy for you? I have him as a third rounder right now. Let's see what the testing numbers are. I mean, it, it could be. It, it's going to be interesting because, you know, you're going to have the bigger receivers, the Leggett's, the Coleman's. Uh, you know, do they go Do they go before the, the Lad McConkeys of the world and the Jermaine Burton's of the world? I have Burton right now as a third rounder. All right, I'm going to go Roman Wilson here, and this is the inverse of the J.J. McCarthy conversation, right, where – He's hurt by not getting a lot of reps. And I think Wilson is underrated because he just hasn't gotten a lot of reps in terms of targets because 
Michigan doesn't throw the ball a lot. And we saw him at the Senior Bowl. You couldn't cover him. You go back and you looked at his college tape uh, heading into that game, and, and I did that. He gets open, Tony. He's fast. He's going to run in the low 4-4s, if not high 4-3s. You know, maybe he's not as quick side to side and in and out of his breaks like a guy like Lad McConkey, for example. But he's a speed slot. And he is – someone made this comp again. I don't want to take credit for it, but I will steal it. Tyler Lockett, I think, is a great comp for him as a guy that is not the biggest, but he's he's fast. He can get downfield. He can play the slot. He can play outside. Uh, I think Roman Wilson is going to be a day two pick, and I think he's going to have a really nice NFL career. He's also tough, too. I mean, he will fight and compete yep. for the contested grab. He's not afraid to go up against bigger defensive backs and battle them to come away with the catch. You know, he was he had a bit of an injury issue last year at Michigan. He had the concussion at the senior ball. Even with the concussion, he came back and was the only receiver that beat Quinnon uh, Mitchell uh, of Toledo all week uh, during senior, during the three days of practice at the senior bowl. You know, I don't know. Maybe he's a number two. He's definitely a number three. And he also brings a specter of return skills with to his game. All right. We're going to have some nice disagreements here, Tony. I'm excited uh-huh. about this. Let's go to the offensive line. Who's your overrated guy? Uh, I know a lot of people are going to turn the, turn the show off or throw something at the computer screen. My number one overrated tackle offensive lineman, I should say, is Joe Walt. And let me preface this by saying I like Joe Walt. When I watch Joe Walt, I see a guy that's long. I see a guy that's powerful. I see a guy that is a tremendous run blocker, drives opponents off the line, you know, opens up the running lanes, uses good angles and body positioning uh, in pass protection. But, you know, I, I'm seeing Joe Walt and people are talking about him being, you know, one, the first tackle taken. I saw one mock draft where they had him as the first player selected, the Bears taking him, and, and, and it was mind-boggling. And then I watched the tape, and I watched probably six or seven uh, Notre Dame games, specifically the Duke, the Louisville and the Duke game. He doesn't sink his butt at the line of scrimmage. And people say, sink your butt. But that goes to bending your knees and keeping your knees bent. He shows a little stiffness in his game. He doesn't slide his feet all that well. You know, I, people say, can he play right tackle? I think he's probably going to be a right tackle in the NFL because he does, because he shows some stiffness in the game. I like him, but the way people are fawning over him, and when I saw the mock draft where, and it was a pretty well-known person that had Alt going with the first pick of the draft, and, and, and the way Fashano, seemed, some people seem, for whatever reason, the, a lot of them are like sheep, seem to be falling off of Fashano, who is a tremendous pass-blocking left tackle. It just didn't make sense to me. Visa uses advanced AI to help stop fraud, so Brie can be all slurp, no worries. Yum. All right. I mean, look, I, I like all two. I think him and Fashanu for me are, are are close. I agree. Fashanu's a better athlete. All just never loses. You watch the tape, Tony, and no one ever beats him. And I think that's what people are seeing. And again, for the NFL, you want to look at traits, right? And traits will dictate how good you are, not necessarily performance. And he's just so long and big. It's going to take forever to guys to get around them. With his size, he doesn't have to be the best athlete. He just has to be a good athlete. And I think he is a good enough athlete. And we've talked about this before. He hasn't played tackle for that long. He played tight end and stuff like that. I think he's still learning some of the fundamentals of the position. So I do think the arrow is still pointing up for him. I would, I personally would have no issue taking him with the top 10 pick. Well, again, he's going to go top 10. I wouldn't think. But, you know, what you just described is Lane Johnson, the tight end, still learning the tackle position. And Lane Johnson would have been much higher rated than Joe Alt if they came, in my opinion, if they came out in the same draft. And, again, go back. Interesting. My, and I wrote it down here. Watch the Louisville game. Watch the Duke game. Everybody, tweet me and, and let me know what you think. I love it. I love it. Lane Johnson was what? Was he was he fourth or second he overall fourth, this year? Yeah, he, he was the fourth pick. The uh, uh, the Dolphins took the pass rusher. I'll never forget that. That is a great story. We'll have to go over one day. The, Deion the Jordan. Took, Deion yes, Jordan. The pass rusher right. from Oregon, who had all the issues when everybody thought that the Dolphins were trading up to get Lane Johnson. That is a fantastic story, an experience that uh, we'll I'll someday share on this show. It, it's it's really funny. All right, absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely have that conversation. When I say story, I mean, I was in the building 
the draft was held at the theater at Madison Square Garden at the time. Yeah, tell the was, story. Tell the story. I want to hear the well, story. Well, yeah, the story. What, what happened was I was actually working with the, I'm sorry to say, the Philadelphia Eagles at the time. And <laughs> we were down in, close to where the, where we had to do our studio because the Eagles were about to make the pick. And it was right by where the families were. And there was one section where it was Lane Johnson's family. And it was another section where it was Deion Jordan's family. And I think it was Roger Goodell. It, uh, it wasn't Tyler. Gets up there. The third pick. The Raiders are on the clock. And he gets up and he says, a trade has been made. The Miami Dolphins are now on the clock. And everybody, everybody thinks the Miami Dolphins traded up to get Lane Johnson. And Lane Johnson's family are going crazy. <laughs> like, yes, yes, he's going to. And they're hugging each other. And they're jumping up and down. And Deion Jordan's family are looking at Lane Johnson's family like this. And everybody says, it's got to be Lane Johnson. And the Johnson family's going crazy. And Deion Jordan's family is like, what, hap what happened? Because they thought the Raiders were going to take Deion, Deion Jordan. And Goodell goes to, the, goes to the podium. And he reads the car. Miami Dolphins select Deion Jordan. And it was like, it changed on a dime. All of a sudden, all the air came out of the family section of Lane Johnson. And they're like, what happened? And the Deion Jordan people are jumping up and down, <laughs> screaming, yes, yes. I, I mean, I wish I had it on tape. It was the funny uh, thing. And then the Eagles were up, and the Eagles were happy. The guys that was working with the Eagles were happy because – and this was the official Eagle site and because they knew we were going to take Lane Johnson. They took Lane Johnson. We went in the back. We did our video, and it was it was just like, you know, the, the earth fell. They were on top of the earth, and then the carpet got pulled out of the uh, Lane Johnson family in an instantaneous second – and the exact opposite happened with the, with the Deion Jordan family. It was it was classic. Oh, that's great. I love it. And I think Lane Johnson's probably happy that he ended yeah. up going to Philadelphia, not what? Miami, given that Super Bowl ring that he has. So I'm sure the Miami Dolphins wish they had taken Lane Johnson when you, when you look at the way things turned out. Yeah, I think you're probably correct about that. Um, I think Deion Jordan, is he a... No, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking Sharif Floyd, who is a assistant defensive line coach, I think, for Dallas or something like that. Anyway. Um, not important. So I had trouble with this, Tony, because I feel good about a lot of these guys, but maybe just not as good as other people. So I'm just going to throw three names out there that I have concerns about and not saying I wouldn't pick them in the first round or they're bad players, but guys that I'm, I'm just thinking about in certain ways. One guy is Amarius Mims, who just has not, I think he started eight games in his college career and people were talking about him as a top 15 pick. Look, you watch him, you see the stuff that's awesome. He's an athlete. He moves. You love all that stuff. But my goodness, eight starts, eight starts. That That's a lot to ask for for a top 15 pick. Why don't you go on Mims and then I'll hit my other two guys. I agree with you. I, I mean, I think he started six games. Last, I think he played in six games last year. So you got to, you know, if you're doing Georgia film, you got to make sure that you get specific Georgia film if, if you're doing the whole team because Mims there. Now, like you said, when he's there, when he's on the field, he's terrific. Fundamentally sound, moves well, outstanding power, you know, good pass blocker, a, a natural right tackle who may be able to move over to the left side. But you're right. I mean, I knew of Mims coming into the season. When I did start my Georgia film this year, I, you know, I, I had to go back to find out what games he was on. It was only like six games. The irony is, if you watch the Georgia film, it was the guy, the guard, Xavier Truss, who moved out to right tackle and was terrific at both tackle and guard, who decided to go back and play for Georgia, who I think really benefited from Mims being on the sideline because he filled in and he was a total monster. But I would agree with you. I mean, I've had Mims in the bottom half of round one because he plays a tackle position, because he shows so much promise. But again, I believe it was six games he played in last year. And there's always a risk when you take a guy with such little playing time on the field, especially since he came out as an underclassman. All right. And now the other thing I'll, I'll talk to you about here, Tony, are two guys you saw at the senior bowl. And you know, when you're watching the team reps at the senior bowl, you can only watch one guy at a time, right? And you're going to miss other stuff in some of those team practice reps. So I went back and I watched the tape last week and this week and two things popped out of me that make me think, and I'm going to go back, look at the tape during the season and, and, and figure out where I stand on these two guys. You know, we've talked about Jordan Morgan and his arm length and maybe being a guard instead of a tackle. He got beat with three long-arm power moves during team drills. Uh, Booker from Kansas got him once. And then Neyland from what, Western Michigan, correct? Marshawn oh, Neyland. Right, right. He got him once. And 
It's exactly what you're afraid to see if you're an offensive tackle. They did the one long arm right into the middle of his chest. Morgan tries to punch. His arms aren't long enough, and he gets pushed down. Once he got knocked down onto his back, the other one, he just gets pushed back for an easy sack. It happened two or three times during team. That's a worry for me. I think he might just be a guard, which means, you know, between picks 25 and 30, maybe something like that for him, 20 and 30. When some people have him top 15, I back off of that. The second guy, and I think fans will be surprised because we wax poetic about how good he was in one-on-ones. That's Tyler S.A. Fuanga from Oregon State. And as I watched the team one on the, the team practice drills um at the com at, at the senior bowl, Tony, he had trouble with speed rushes. Guys were fairly consistently getting around his outside shoulder to the point guys weren't even trying inside moves on him. They said, look, we can get outside on him. I saw Adisa Isaac do it. Yeah. I saw yeah. Booker do it. I saw Nealon do it. So I do worry about his range a little bit, getting out on his kick slide against some of these speed rushers in the NFL. I, I'm not positive about it. I need to go watch some more of his tape to see how many reps he had against really good speed rushes during his regular season. Because I did see some stuff in Mobile that did worry me a little about, worry me a little bit for a guy a lot of people have as a top 12 selection. Uh, especially with the news that the, the Jets really like him. The Jets are sitting there at 10 now. Adisa Isaac, to his credit, had a great practice that day because you watched that practice. He not only beat Fuanga, he was also beating Roger Rosengarten around yep. the edge of uh, that day. And we were there live watching. And that's why Fuanga's strictly a right tackle. I mean, he's he's got some mobility. He may be able to use him in his own blocking system, but he's more a power run blocking guy that has to uh, you know work on his pass protection. I agree with you about Jordan Morgan. I mean, Jordan Morgan seems like a guy – you talk about him as a guard. I like him as his own uh, zone blocking guard. He needs a running start, basically, to get, uh, you know, for his blocks. There are some teams, like I know the Arizona Cardinals, who like him at tackle. But you're right. I mean, you know, the arm length and the fact that he was getting beat a variety of ways that you didn't expect him to get beat around the edge through power, getting knocked back off the line. And it was a major red flag. I jokingly said to somebody at his team after a Wednesday's practice, you know, tell the coaches to move him inside the guard so we get to see him at guard. They really didn't take that uh, uh, half sarcastic comment uh, all that well. But, uh, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think with with a left tackle, my belief is you play him at left tackle until he proves he can't play left tackle. Sure. Jordan Morgan, I liked him. I still think he can go slide into the late part of round one. He's got a lot of upside. But based on senior ball, what we saw is going to need a lot of work. All right, who's your underrated offensive tackle? You know, you mentioned him, uh, Marius Mims, you know, being overrated because of lack of experience. And Mims played seven games. I, I checked it out while we were talking. Seven. That's why I think Matt Goncalves of Pittsburgh is underrated. Played left tackle. You watch him. He's strong. He's a terrific run blocker. He's got excellent agility. Can slide off the edge. I like this tape a lot. I watched it head into the Shrine Bowl. I thought his tape was excellent. Uh, Only played two games this year. Had a toe injury, which had to be operated on, which is why he was out. He was also good in 2022. I had him coming into the season. I had him as a third-round pick off the 2022 film. And the first couple of games when he was on the field this year, he also played very well. Not just an on-the-line-of-scrimmage type of blocker. Can get out on the second level in motion. And I think what's going to happen is because he only played two games this year, <clears throat> he's going to be downgraded. But somebody in that third round, maybe fourth round, is going to get a steal with Goncalves. No, I'm with you, Tony. I'll throw two guys out there. I'm I'm with you. I think he's going to be a good offensive tackle in the league. He could be an average starter. And he, I think he played right and left, too, if I recall. Correct, I think, in his career in college, if I'm Correct. not mistaken? Yeah, right. so he's less, he's he's got some versatility there too. I'll throw two guys at you. One Isaiah Adams. We we talked about him a lot on the on the on the, on the senior bowl show already, so I won't stay here. But again, just watching him in 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 the team reps, just very powerful. Guys don't beat him. I think his time at tackle made him a better guard. It made him a little more agile. I think he's going to be a really good player. To me, he's a, a round late round three, mid round three type of pick, and I think he's going to be a starting guard in the league for a long time in an emergency tackle. And then Roger Rosengarten, who. You know, I liked his play in the one-on-ones more than I did the team reps when I rewatched the the Senior Bowl tape. You go back, aside from that championship game uh, against Michigan, Tony, he had a good year. He was really good at Washington this year. He was solid all around. I think he's a very good athlete. I think he's in a test very well. 
I think there are just some fundamental things he needs to get better at. One thing, when he gets into trouble, he lunges and he bends at the waist. That's a problem. He's going to have to clean that up a little bit. And I think some, some things with his feet and his balance can sometimes get a little wonky. But he has a great punch. He'll punch you right in the chest. He'll get his hands inside. And I do think he's a pretty good athlete. I just think he needs to smooth out some of those fundamentals. Yeah, I think he's got more power than his uh, his teammate on the left side, Fanatu, who, who everybody loves. And he's also mobile. You watch him on the second level, and he's very effective blocking emotion. Getting back to Isaiah Adams, I think Isaiah Adams can actually slide into the late part of round two because Ooh, I like you know, it. It's it's not a real it, while we it's it's an outstanding tackle class. It's not a great interior offensive line class at the top. You look at the injury to Zach Zinter. You look at the fact that Cooper Beebe wasn't at the Senior Bowl. You look at the fact that Isaiah Adams was there and played outstanding football every day for three days. I do think that uh, he is potentially a, a second-round pick, be a perfect fit for a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, let's go to defense, Tony. Defensive line and edge, who's your overrated player? Chris Jenkins. I, I mean, the first show we did this year with Bruce Feldman, Jenkins was talked about as a first-round pick. I know he had the high ankle strain, uh, but but I think Jenkins is a guy who last year in 2022 benefited from the big nose tackle that Dallas took in the first round, occupying blocks. He didn't have that this year. He had the injury. He showed flashes, but there was not a consistent high level of play. And Jenkins was a guy who, you know, just four months ago, people were projecting as a first-round pick. I never had him as a first-round pick. I think you got to be careful in the type of system you play him in. I think he could he could be a good player at the next level, but I think you're looking at a bottom half of day two guy who has got to get his game back and he's got to really start to elevate his play and play at a high level on each snap. All right, I'm going to go with one of Tony's favorites here. I'm looking forward to you battling me on this one. I'm going to go with his man, uh, Jerzon Newton out of Illinois. Again, I think he's a first-round pick, but I think he's more of a late first-round pick than an early to mid-first-round pick. I, he's productive. He's really strong. He's great with his hands. He moves guys around. His technique's awesome. I want to see more explosion out of the stands. For a defensive tackle, I want to see a quicker explosion out of the stands and ability to get upfield at the snap. And I, and I think if he can do that, then I'm with you. I'm all in top 15 pick, top 18 pick, however you want to look at him, I'm in. But I, I just I feel like sometimes he's a little bit late out of that stance. I, I think the problem with him is is the body type is going to be kind of funky. Six one and a half, three hundred pounds as he tackles the defensive end. The thing that turned me on about Newton is this is uh I don't disagree with disagree with the inconsistent get off that he has. But the fact is is he's a playmaker and he plays hard. I don't know how many times where the game was already determined. Illinois was going to lose by two touchdowns, by, by 20 points. Yet Newton in the fourth quarter is still making plays. He's still playing hard. And for a big man, especially on the college level, to do that consistently and not mail it in, I mean, that says a lot to me about his game. That's why I think teams are going to love him. That's why I think he's going to be successful at the next level and be a top 15 pick. All right. Who's your underrated guy, Tone? Well, a guy that we saw at the Shrine Bowl, Christian Boyd of Northern Iowa. I mean, here's a guy who entered the season with low-level streak-free agent grades and had a great year at Northern uh, Northern Iowa. You go back, you watch the South Dakota State film, he, just, he basically manhandled Mason McCormick, who we both love. And then he was terrific during three days of Shrine game practice in one-on-ones, in team drills. Mind-boggling, he did not receive a combine invite. Uh, I'm told at 320 pounds, he was on the field for more than 94% of the defensive snaps played wow. by Northern Iowa this year. He was playing 80 snaps a game, not combined in the combine. He already has 30 uh, official uh, pre-draft visits, 30, uh, 30 official 30 visits, as we call them. And he's a guy who, you know, his story is going to be similar to Kobe Turner's from a year ago. Kobe Turner who started the Shrine Bowl, didn't receive a combine invite, was a third-round pick for the Rams, and you saw what Kobe Turner did. He's a different sort of player as Kobe Turner. I think he's more fourth-round than third-round. But Boyd, who really just dominated, dominated every day of uh, of Shrine Bowl practice, uh, is my most under is my underrated uh, defensive lineman, excuse me, that few we're talking about right now. Yeah, I'm going to throw a guy out there that when we watch Senior Bowl practice live, Tony – I barely noticed him when I watched the one-on-ones over again, you know, the, the night of the practice, 
didn't really do anything for me. Then I watched the team drills, especially the run game team stuff at the goal line and just the, you know, the regular 11 on 11 team stuff. And even though he's barely 300 pounds, I thought Tyler Davis from Clemson yeah. had a really strong week against the run in team drills. He was, you know, um, he would engage, move the offensive line off and make a play. Uh, you couldn't move him at the point of attack. Again, I think for that role, his body type is interesting. But I thought Tyler Davis had a really nice week stopping the run uh, in Mobile. And he was like that for three years, four years at Clemson. I went, went back for a second senior season, six one and a half, two hundred ninety two pounds. You're looking at him more as like a one gap three technique type. But even throughout his, you know, senior ball side, even throughout his Clemson career. He's an explosive first-step defensive lineman who just gets a lot of penetration, goes hard on every snap, went back for another senior year where he would have probably been a third-round pick in the 2023 draft, probably going to be right in that same area in 2024. Uh, But a guy uses his hands well, fundamentally sound in that he plays with great head level, gets leverage on opponents. And that first step, that explosion off the snap is what, you know, the opposite of, of what your your concerns with Newton are. Uh, that's one of the uh, one of the great points of, of Davis's game. All right, let's go to linebackers, Tony. Who is your overrated linebacker? Uh, Tommy Eichenberg. And, and it hurts me to say this because we are Ohio State family. As my daughter goes to Ohio State. But Eichenberg, I mean, he's a tough as nails run defender who, who I think on third and six, third and seven, uh, passing situations, unless you're going to play in his own system, you got to take him off the field because he's going to get exploited by running backs in man coverage. He's going to get exploited by tight ends. Uh, you know, if it's third and three, you'll want him on the field to stack against the run because he he plays like a man. He plays like a man who's who, uh, a violent linebacker. I just don't think he's a complete linebacker. And people are talking about him as being a potential, you know, top seventy-five pick. I think he's more of a two-down guy that. If he goes in in day two, it's going to be in the late part of day two. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I I couldn't find a, a good linebacker here to kind of put in this conversation, so I didn't want to reach here and and frankly just not feel good about it. So I'm going to skip that one for me. I'm you know I'm a coward. But live with it. Uh, who's your underrated linebacker, Tony? Uh, I'm going to break a lot of Ohio State fans' hearts when I say Junior Colson, Michigan. I mean he's big. He's explosive. He's a terrific run defender. Reminds me of David Harris a little bit. Do you remember the old Michigan yeah. linebacker David good Harris player. played for years with the uh, Jets? Also very good in coverage. Doesn't get beaten coverage. Can stay with the tight ends across the field, down the field. Just hitting his stride. Third-year junior. He's got a lot of upside. He's athletic. He's big. He's explosive. You know, for the longest time, Colston was my number one rated prospect coming out of Michigan. Although I think J.J. McCarthy is going to be selected before him. Not because McCarthy's a better prospect, but because he plays the priority position of quarterback. But Colson is a complete three-down linebacker that, unlike Eichenberg, third and two, you can leave him on the field to defend the run. Third and seven, you can leave him on the field because he can cover tight ends or running backs. On second watch of those of the senior bowl stuff, Tony, I'm going to go Washington linebacker, Edifuan Ulafoshio. Yeah. And I know he doesn't have a – he's had a lot of, you know, incomplete seasons over the course of his career, but – if you go back and you look at the one-on-one coverage drills where, frankly, you know this, Tony, they line they line up these linebackers against these running backs and tight ends. They usually get murdered. They don't have a chance in those one-on-one coverage drills. And I thought he did a really nice job in those drills. I thought he did good uh, did a good job anticipating and filling the hole against the run in some of the team stuff. He's not even on, like, Kuyper's top 10 inside linebacker lists. Uh, for, for players there. I thought he had a nice week and he was very productive, a big time award winner at Washington as well this year. His college tape, I think is strong. I, I think he might be a little bit better than what te- teams are giving or what uh, analysts rather are giving him credit for. Yeah. All of a show was when he was on the field, he was good. And I remember three years ago, I had him as a day two pick, but then the injury set in and yep. he wasn't on the field. And you know, his development w- was stunted, not the tallest guy in the world, but a smart guy who shows a lot of athleticism, more than just a box linebacker, can get jet on his jet, uh, his pass drops, as you mentioned, can get outside to the flanks to make plays. A lot to like about his game. The injuries, though, are the main concern with him. Yeah, 6'1", 230, if I recall right from his uh, senior bowl measurements, give or take. All right, let's go to defensive backs. Hooper DeGene, Tony, really? Not a fan? Yeah. You know, I I think he's more opportunistic than a real good defensive back. And what I mean by that is 
you know, you watch Kool-Aid McKistry, you watch Quinnon Mitchell, they've got polished ball skills. They're making plays with their ball skills as opposed to an errant pass by the quarterback, uh, or, you, you know, a, a missed throw by the by the signal caller. DeGene is, he's incredibly athletic. People are going to love his athleticism. He's just a little bit stiff, too, too stiff for me for the cornerback position. Um, you know, when we had Trevor Sakima from uh, PFF on, he mentioned something that I felt all along. I think Cooper DeGene could actually be better safety in the NFL than a cornerback. I think he's actually better facing the action than making plays with his back to the ball. People are going to fall in love with this guy because of his uh, his athleticism. Some teams may fall in love with him. For me, to be a pure cornerback, to be a guy that is a potential top 20, top 25 pick, just a little too stiff for me at that position. No, I think that's fair. I think people will like the the fact that he's from Iowa and they've had a pretty good history, you know, developing some of these defensive backs for one. He's going to test really well. I think either a, a decathlete or a track guy. I'm not sure which one, Tony, but he certainly has a lot of track experience. And he's a guy that's going to run well. He's got good size as well. I think he'll check all the boxes there. He is. He does have an injury that he's dealing with. He well, Hopefully he'll be able to, to, to run at the combine. We'll see. You know, he didn't finish the college season. I think he's a very good player. You know, I would put him probably fourth or fifth corner, maybe. I'd put him behind probably both Alabama guys, Wiggins, and probably Mitchell at this point. But I, I think if he got picked late first round, that, would, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I think he'd be worth that pick. I'm going to go Cam Kitchens. And I know people love him. People talk about him, you know, maybe early second round pick. I just don't see enough plays, Tony. When I went back and watched the tape, yeah, he's kind of in the right spot. He moves pretty well. Can you make some plays on the ball for me? Like, I, I need some ball production from my safety if I want to pick him that high. And I just didn't see enough ball production, at least in the 2023 tape. I know the 2022 tape is supposedly better. I have not gone back and watched that yet. But, you know, to me, Kitchens is, is much more of a third-round pick than a second-round pick. And I've always had him as a third-round pick. I'm looking at my board right now, and, and sure enough, he's in the middle of third round. I would agree with you. I do like him as a true center fielder. He shows good range. He shows good uh, good hands for the interception. Yeah, solid player, but I, I don't see, like, all-pro, Pro Bowl potential there. Not not even close. And the problem with him is sometimes he comes up the field too fast, and he takes himself from the action. He overpursues plays against the run. I think the potential is there, but I agree with you, which is why I've always had him as a, as a uh, third-round choice. All right, who's your underrated guy here, Tony? Yeah, Malik Mustafa. I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this boat all the way to the end. I like Malik Mustafa over the summer. I like him coming into the season. We spoke about him with Bruce Feldman. I know he didn't stand out uh, all that much at uh, Senior Bowl. I know you could maybe make the argument that he was better in 2022 than he was in 2023, but just a smart, instinctive safety from Wake Forest. Tough run defender, finds the ball handler, good ball skills. He's not gonna go till day three. And some people are going to maybe pigeonhole him as a zone safety, whatever. This guy can play. It's just a matter of putting him in a position to let him do what he does incredibly well. I was a little bit disappointed with his play at the senior bowl because I expected a lot from him. I wanted, I wanted him to play to get into that third-round area. I don't think he did that. But the bottom line is, is you watch that film the past two years, and he makes a lot of positive plays. He doesn't have any bad plays. He doesn't have any mental lapses. Unlike Cam Kitchens, who I said – Sometimes comes up the field, takes the wrong routes against the run, gets caught out of position. You never see that with Mustafa. He's always keeping the action in front of him. He's always making positive plays, works well with the cornerbacks. I like his overall game. All right, and then my underrated uh, two safeties, Tony, that I don't think we mentioned them in any of our Senior Bowl reports or anything like that. But when I went back and I watched the the one-on-ones between the safeties and the tight ends, and look, let's be honest, you have wide receiver DB one-on-ones, O-line, D-line one-on-ones going on at the same time as like safeties versus tight ends. You know what you're not watching? You're not watching the safeties and tight ends. You're trying to watch the, the other two. So I thought when I went back and I watched that, I thought Cole Bishop out of Utah might have been the best coverage safety on the national team. He can move. He's sticky in coverage. I thought he was really good covering tight ends down the field. And then, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher the name here, Kutten Oladapo, Kitten Oladapo from Oregon yeah. State. What I'm impressed by, Tony, he's a bigger guy, over 220 pounds, over 6'1", and he's a guy that I thought for his size that looks like a box safety, moved pretty fluidly in coverage. 6'2", 219 pounds, a little bit small hands, but, I, I mean, he plays to that size, too. He's got the ball skills. 
he I, I thought Evan Williams also did well uh there yeah, he did a little bit off the off track here but uh you know you you look at a guy like that and you're wondering is he going to be safety at the next level is he going to are they going to try and put five to ten pounds on him and use him as one gap linebacker but he showed some ball skills and you know that on, on passing situations he's more than just a downhill run defending safety yeah absolutely all right tony you oh, have a more guy. specialist on this list. Yeah, yeah. Wow, look at you. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny because when I write my reports, rank my punters and kickers, they're usually last. They're sometime in the middle of March because it's such a bore to do them and they're, they're quick to do. But when I watched the Iowa film, Corey Taylor of Iowa, it was like, wow, it was mind-boggling. The Iowa offense was awful last year, if you remember. Yet Corey Taylor would con- consistently kick this team out of uh, out of danger. He would flip the field, 50-yard punts every single game, has a long of close to 80 yards, a guy that, you know, he gets such hang time on the ball, you wonder when it comes down if it's going to be wet because it went through the clouds, but he's also a good directional kicker. It's not just a guy who just boots the air out of the, uh, out of the ball. He can kick it to the left or the right, down the sidelines, played in Iowa, good direct, uh, uh, can kick in the bad weather, bigger guy, he's from Melbourne, Australia, Played Australian rules sock, uh, Australian rules football. I actually got to meet him at, at the Senior Bowl. I spoke with him for about ten minutes. He's he's a great interview. He's a funny guy, uh, but a guy who you know they were they were talking about. They want him to be the earliest punter in the history of the NFL draft selected. That's going to be tough because the Raiders took what Ray Guy in the first round. But you know it's very unusual for a punter to end up as a day two pick. And Tory Taylor of Iowa absolutely has a possibility to be a day two pick in this upcoming draft. Come for the quarterback talk, stay for the punting analysis. Tony Pauline from Sportsgate. Tony, good stuff. I look forward to our mock draft next week, and we'll swap it up this time. I'll take the odds, and you'll take the evens, all right? Sounds good, John. Look forward to it. For Tony Pauline, I'm John Schmoke. Thanks for hanging with us today. We had a lot of fun. Of course, subscribe to Draft Season on your favorite podcast platform. Just search for Draft Season. Or if you're having trouble finding it, it's go to Giants.com slash podcast, and all the links are there. Today's episode was brought to you by Visa. Visa looks at over 500 data points on transactions to help prevent fraud so you can worry less and focus on your next podcast, which is hopefully draft season next week. Shop with Visa because security looks good on you. For Tony Pauline, I'm John Schmuck. We'll see you next time on draft season.